is Digital Marketer. Today, it's Jeff Mask. Hello, and welcome to the Digital Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Snavely, and today we're all going to take a really hard look at ourselves and the way we lead. So today, I'm talking with Jeff Mask. You've heard from him before. He's a leadership coach to founders and executives of high-growth companies, including our own executive team here at Digital Marketer. Jeff breaks down some of the ways that you can build trust. You see, one of the most important elements in any relationship is trust, and that is no different. And it's especially important when you're a leader. So whether you're a founder or CEO, managing a team, or you're an individual contributor whose star is quickly rising, the question is, how are you building an environment of trust? Settle in and give this one your full focus today. There's so much great stuff in here. Here it is. So yeah, I guess before we get started, I mean, Jeff, the audience already knows you. They've at least listened to one episode before and and seen you around. But how did all this leadership stuff get started? I was thrown into leadership at 17 years old and had no idea what I was doing. Still don't in many regards. But I was asked to franchise out and regionalize, wait for it, a balloon entertainment twisting company. Yeah, you heard me right. So I was, <laughs> I was making balloon animals and was doing it in high school. And the owner and founder said, hey, I want to expand this to Southern California. Will you do that for me? And I just graduated high school and I was supposed to recruit new, new contractors to teach them how to the magical art of balloon twisting, as well as contract with new restaurants to drum up new business and do business development. I had no idea what I was doing. And I was totally scared, but excited at the same time, which is, I think, very common for, for leaders. And I just learned a lot of trial and error over the years, then took leadership down to Argentina for a couple of years and learned how to lead and more, more importantly, how not to lead. Mm-hmm. And I've just found in each element of my life, I'm put into leadership positions, whether I like it or not. And at first it frustrated me. And then I realized, embrace it. And when I embraced it, I became a student of leadership and didn't, I didn't despise it anymore. And I didn't try and shirk it. I just owned it and tried to learn that leadership is all about selfless service and all about building trust with people. So that's how the journey began. That's so huge. Like what I noticed from the beginning, even just in you saying, you know, I still don't know anything about leadership. It's like... There is such a humility in it and like selflessness. And you talk a lot about trust. I'd love to know just when you, when you go into creating an environment that builds trust around you, what are some of the, the things you need to bring into it? That's a great question. I think before I answer that question, I'd like to go to the genesis of why trust is so important. In, in leading teams that I have over the years, teams of two, t- teams of 2002, I've led all the above in tech and in pharmaceutical and everyday life. I've saw and learned commonalities and patterns. 
And one of the things that I saw in individual contributors and teams alike, that the number one reason why individuals and teams fail was rooted in fear, one way or another, fear of success, fear of failure, fear of looking stupid, fear of, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be found out, you know, imposter syndrome. And ultimately, that fear stifled growth and success, and it, it would always hit a plateau or a ceiling and would never go past it because of fill in the blank, whatever that fear was. So the more I read, the more I studied, the more I applied, the more I realized the common denominator and eliminator of fear is building an environment of trust. Trust eradicates fear. Some will say uh, it's love. And, and I would say love and trust can be synonymous, but it's got to be an environment where people feel safe, where people feel heard, where people feel like they can be their best. That's a trusting environment where, where failure is actually celebrated versus feared and versus shunned and or completely swept under the carpet. And so I just I literally 20 years ago became a student of how do you eliminate fear and why does fear creep in? And why do we put different, no pun intended, masks on the fear to, to say that it's something else when really it's just, it is just fear. And so then I developed over the years, just kind of a, a way of thinking about building trust with, with people, individuals, teams, uh, departments, entire companies. And trust really is the foundation of, of sustained success over many, many years. So roundabout way that was kind of a tangent but now i'll answer more specifically the question <laughs> kind of what are the steps in applying and, and really leveraging trust so i call it the triangle of trust and there are three main uh, spokes to this triangle three pillars if you will and one the first one is transparency the second one is vulnerability and the third one is consistency and when you combine them, not only do you create trust, you create sustained trust, which is an important distinction. Sustained trust enables momentum, which enables sustained success and growth. Anyone can get results for a day, a week, a month, a quarter, but to get them quarter after quarter, year after year in a sustainable, scalable fashion, that's where studying and applying the triangle of trust is imperative for massive growth and success. And I noticed so much those well, two of the triangle, you know, I, I feel like that, that consistency part is the engine behind it and the transparency and the vulnerability. Really, when you talk about eradicating fear, I mean, those two right there are like the biggest things you can do. I mean, you can't be fearless without being transparent about what's going on, that you don't know what's going on. So much of this speaks to me as someone who was an emerging leader, now is a new leader. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel like I'm continually relearning how to, how to trust. Right. It's really, it's really difficult. And it it's is. not just love that can do it, right? It's that the eradication of those fears. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I can love totally. people all day and still be scared that they don't think right. I'm enough. <laughs> right. Totally. So true. I, it's, I've just found that it's, it's so much the way that we think our own limiting beliefs and our own fears about ourselves and, you know, not knowing enough, not being enough, failing in, in the, in the process. 
is ironically what becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy of quote unquote not being a good leader because you just can't get out of your own head and again fear is the root of all of that and when we can just push fear aside and replace it with selflessness and and true care for the people that we serve all of a sudden leadership becomes a little bit more natural and a little bit less stressful and notice i said a little bit because it's still stressful right. and it's still difficult <laughs> right <laughs> but yeah. it's true and it's, it's a healthy thing to do so kind of before we get into some of the ways you can build that environment i want to make sure the people um, listening know who we're talking to so when you say leadership who are you referring to honestly leadership for me is all-encompassing it's pervasive there there isn't a, a place in life in my opinion where you aren't leading specifically though for for this podcast it's it's leading teams, it's leading people to the summit, it's helping people achieve more than they thought they could from, from a team to a department to an entire organization. So work specific, but what I love about leadership is it's totally applicable to anything else in life. I'm a husband of 20 years and a father of four amazing kids and leadership is just as if not more relevant at home than it is at work. In addition, in the community, I've been with Boy Scouts for years and man, leadership of a 12 and 13 year old group of 18, 12 and 13 year olds summoning a mountain is no joke, but leadership is super applicable there. And I found actually a lot of leadership principles that I tried and tested. I actually used the, the mountainside as a laboratory of learning and, and trying to figure out, man, if I can help a 12 year old become way more than he believes he can be. I can do that for a 25-year-old or a 30-year-old or a 50-year-old for sure. And some would argue, no, it's they're more malleable, but I think you've forgotten what it's like to be 12 and 13. <laughs> and the raging yeah. hormones <laughs> and the insecurities and the fears. Leadership really is pervasive. But for this podcast, I'd say it's it's around helping your teams at work accomplish the miracles they didn't think they could to summit the that mountain, to meet that deadline by a particular time in a way that was way in a much higher quality than they ever thought possible because you instill the belief in them and you push them and you inspire them versus require them. So getting into building this environment, assessing yourself, giving yourself ways to achieve this, you know, it all kind of floats around until so we can grab something and mm-hmm. label it. So what is the, the first thing that you can probably do? Yeah, the first thing in creating an environment of trust, first of all, it's just recognizing you can create an environment of trust regardless of where you are. Some may be listening and thinking, Jeff, you don't know my culture. It's toxic and trust just doesn't exist. That's a luxury we can't afford. I would challenge you very frankly and say that's that's BS. It's just not true. You can create trust. And so when we think, okay, I will create an environment of trust, there are several things you can do. First of all, I think it's important to acknowledge, can I, as a leader, acknowledge my my mistakes in front of my team? That is a difficult pill to swallow because historically, old school leadership has taught Command and control, you know the answers. If you show that you don't, you're vulnerable and weak and no one will respect you. But guess what? That type of leadership literally was born in 1911 mm-hmm. in a book called Scientific Management, which is classic. That, that, that 
it's so oxymoronic in my opinion. I, I guess management can be scientific, but it's so much more than that. That was then taken and spread through Harvard, Harvard Business School, which validated it worldwide. And the principles, by the way, are really sound. They're really practical. They're really helpful. But it's about efficiency. It's about the, the workforce in the Industrial Revolution, which is completely different than the workforce today of the knowledge worker, the modern worker. It's completely 180 degrees different. So back in the day, if you acknowledged your weakness, if you acknowledged that you didn't know, you weren't respected. Today, it's, it's the complete opposite. When you can acknowledge your weakness, it actually increases and strengthens trust versus makes you feel that you don't know. Here, here's a quick story. So I was in a, a new company. I had already been through a couple tech companies and helped them scale to really awesome levels of north of 100 million and public uh, IPO in one of them, just good stuff. But I came to this new company and people kind of knew that pedigree. And without me knowing it, I came with an air of, oh, I know it all. I've been there. I've done that. And I'm sure I probably said and did things that implied that, though I wasn't thinking that at all. They also had some ways of, of being that were kind of feeling, man, I don't know if I can do this. This guy's done it before and I haven't. So there was just this weird energy of insecurity going on. And we, there was just this tension that was thick. And I was like, what is going on? I've never quite felt this. And as we're going through this problem to solve, all of a sudden, finally, I just go, look, he, the, the person looked at me and he's like, why didn't you just tell me? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I know you know the answer. You're just holding out because you're the only one smart enough to, to figure that out. And you know that and you're being superior about it. And I was like, record scratch, what? And I was like, that's just not how I roll. I said, I have no idea the answer to this. And literally his whole face just totally stopped. And he's like, what? And I said, I have no idea. He's like, yeah, but you've done this before. I'm like, not in this particular situation. I don't know the solution, but together I'm sure we can find it. And like the whole energy shifted in the room. Mm. All of a sudden it was okay to ask questions and to doubt and to not be sure. All because I, as the leader, hadn't first acknowledged, I don't know. I thought it was clear that I didn't. <laughs> it wasn't like I was yeah. trying to put on a front, but because I hadn't explicitly said, I don't know the answer, and I was genuine and authentic with it, trust surged. And all of a sudden, the outcome was way more powerful, and the, and the brainstorming was just way more dynamic, and we found a better solution. So anyway, if I hadn't acknowledged my weakness and not acknowledged, like, I, I don't know, it would have just been this weird stalemate. It was a bizarre energy, but wow, yeah. long I forgot. I mean, just from my own personal experience, like me coming on to begin programming TNC was so big and like Russ used to do it. Russ Henneberry, like I had such mm -hmm. big shoes to fill and I felt like, oh, I can't do this. And mm -hmm. I still did it and I did, you know. Did an awesome job, I think. And and now leading, you know, my own direct report, leading Bethany, I find that she can sometimes talk the same way about herself as I did, like looking at Russ. And in my mind, I'm like, no, I just had to do it. I just had to figure it out. And I, I think there's something so big about being able to say, I'm not like the perfect, you know, picture of genius at this. I just did it and you can do it too, because we got to do it one way right. or another. Right. That's a little, I mean, it's not off topic, but. No, it's, it's totally on topic. It, it's just, it's tough to, 
tough to have confidence and belief in yourself when you're comparing yourself to other people and how they've done it. And when you acknowledge, you know, I don't know if I can do this like Mm -hmm. this, or I don't know the best way. That's okay. And you find better outcomes when people acknowledge that you have acknowledged that you need help. Yeah. Totally. And yeah, I think you, you discover so much more when other people are like, Oh, well then we're going to have to figure this out. You know, they're not just waiting for someone. Right. Right. (laughs) So what's the next thing after I've acknowledged, I don't know. I made a mistake. I'm not perfect. What can you do? Another great thing you can do to create an environment of trust is sharing key data uh, with your team. So financials, metrics, the historical, this is only the executive team data that gets to see this. Nobody else is privy to this because people shouldn't be shouldn't have access to this very sensitive information. Okay, thanks, old school. It's just, it's, in, in this day of the modern leader, information is everywhere. It's not in a black box anymore. People can find stuff anywhere. Now, now private financial details of a company, I get there's, it's a little different. But when people know the data, they are so much more prone to lean in and to solve and to give when they don't know the data and they feel there's a little bit of things being held close to the chest, it's creating an environment of, okay, I, I guess I need to protect my own too and, and hold my environment, hold my cards close to my chest. It doesn't foster great two-way communication. It doesn't foster a lot of trust. And when, but when you do that, boy, it's phenomenal. One of my clients, I, I coach CEOs and uh, of high growth companies. And one of my clients has actually taken this to the whole, uh, a, totally different degree that I, I haven't seen very commonly. He shares all, all data of the company, including everyone's pay. Everyone's. That's it's, incredible. It's on, a, it's on a Google sheet. Everybody sees it. Everybody knows how long they've been there. And here's what they're making. And honestly, when I first heard that, I was like, dude, that, that's a little dangerous. You can get some weird competitiveness and some weird, weird vibes with that. And he said, maybe, but, my gut says it's right, especially for, for today's worker and, and what people are doing in the, in the knowledge industry and technology and everything. And he said, these knowledge workers need it. And they did. And he's been doing running it now five years, and it's super successful. He's won all sorts of awards of best places to work across multiple different platforms. And people totally, totally trust him as the CEO and the culture that they're involved in. And guess what? people's discretionary effort comes out in spades. People, they just want to do more. They want to give more because where transparency is given, transparency is then reciprocated and you have an environment of trust and everybody hums. So I, th- I think a lot of people hear that and think, ah, that's that's too utopian. That, that just doesn't work in the real world. And I would challenge that and say it can, but mm-hmm. you've got to be intentional about it. Yeah, there's a radicalness to it for sure. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know if you followed along lately with Bon Appetit, but they recently kind of had a, a bit of a reckoning. And I think the sharing of pay, da- pay data is mm-hmm. kind of what is going to help them get over, you know, these missteps and, and some of the things happening. Right. I have followed that. It's it's. It's sad, and I think every leader sees that and goes, oh, but it's also wonderful because we can all learn and grow, and, and I love mm-hmm. the steps they're taking to, to repair and to rebuild. I think it's awesome. Yeah. So we got mistakes. We've got 
sharing some of the data, a little bit of transparency. What else can you do? Here's a huge one. And and you could argue this is where it all starts. I do what I say I will do in the big and especially the small things. So I'd like, you know, as we're going through these uh, little questions, I, I like to kind of score it. Do I do this rarely? Do I do it sometimes? Do I do it often? So it's just a good self self-assessment. Do you do what you say you'll do in the big and in the small things? And I would argue what's more important actually are the small things. Even to the point as I'm, I told myself I'd wake up at six, so I will. And I did. I told myself I would make my bed. I told myself I would exercise. Whatever those small things are, when you cheat yourself, all of a sudden your word doesn't really become much of anything. And subconsciously, when you then make agreements with other people, yeah, I'll have that in by Friday at 5 p.m. Or yes, you can. I'll, I'll edit that by this Thursday. We then subconsciously, because our word doesn't mean very much, and we have cheapened it over the years, that when that deadline comes and goes, we've already justified it out of our mind because our plate was more full than we thought, or because this deadline got pushed and now I can't. And we don't even think to go then renegotiate and recommit with the individual because why? Our word doesn't mean anything. In other words, the word integrity uh, is why I, I, I look at it and say, man, integrity enables us to be our word with a capital W. And one thing I loved uh, that I heard Dave Ramsey say one time was integrity, the root word is integer, and integer means whole. So think of math, right? It's like an integer mm. is a whole number. And when we are whole and not fractured, we can be way more confident, way more powerful, and interestingly, create more trust. Because people know when we say we'll do something, it's as good as done, period. But, you know, we all know we're not perfect and things do slip. So if you say you're going to get something done by Friday at five and something legitimately does come up that you didn't foresee, then what do you do? You just connect with your teammate before that deadline yeah. and you say, hey, this came up. I can no longer make this, de make this deadline, but I, my new, new deadline is this time. And then don't miss that second deadline. But that what it's doing is subconsciously and consciously creating a powerful connection of trust with your team. Little simple things like that go a long way. And then when the big things come, like, hey, we need to meet, meet our monthly goal or our quarterly target or our annual goal, those are a foregone conclusion because the little things are taken care of because we are integrous people and we are people of our word with a capital W. You can tell I get kind of passionate about this one. Yeah, <laughs> but, I, man, it's I love a big it. deal. And, and when I think of, you know, those, those three parts of, of what trust is that consistency like this is where that consistency yes. comes in but also um, kind of the vulnerability and transparency because i feel like the opposite is true if you say you will do what you do then you also need to say what you cannot do yes. and be honest when when people ask you to do things and just tell them no i feel like the teammates I have that tell me no, I'm like, yeah, right on. You, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What I found is one of the, one of the biggest mouse traps we get into, that's probably a bad analogy. One of the, <laughs> one of the biggest problems we get ourselves into is the desire to please the desire to, to just not have anyone be mad at us. And so what we'll do is we'll over, overcommit 
over and over because we don't want to say, I can't do that. We don't want to look weak or inferior. But when you are very, very clear on your word, when you, when you do what you say you'll do, you are very careful about what you say you'll do, right? And so that is where the vulnerability and transparency comes in, where it's like, man, I want to do that. I have these things in place, and I know one of these things is going to have to slide. So if it's you know talking to your leader or someone else, then you just have a little re recommitment session and say, which one of these is more important? Because unfortunately, I can't do all at the same time. As much as I'd love to be superwoman or superman, I can't. And so you just renegotiate. And guess what? People are fine with that. They're like, okay. What they're not okay with is, man, you keep saying you're going to get these things done at these times and you don't. So I just, I can't count on you. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have trust in your ability to get things done, ironically. And all you want to do is just please, please, please. And, and you don't. So Disneyland is the great, greatest example of this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get on Splash Mountain and they hit you right up front. It's a 75 minute wait. And that time algorithm is actually going through all the worst case scenarios all taking that into account uh -huh. if everything goes wrong if it break, breaks down this number of times and it's going to be this long of a wait they give the hard news up front then as you go through the line and it's 68 minutes it's like oh cool that's great <laughs> but if you were to say hey well we don't want to disappoint people we don't want people to you know go away so we're going to tell them 45 minutes and hopefully it'll all work out well because if everything goes right. perfectly then 45 minutes will happen. Well, guess what? It broke down twice and now it's 62 minutes and people are super frustrated, right? It's about being our word and understanding what integrity means versus just trying to please people, which gets us into a vicious cycle of disappointment and frustration. Mm. Uh, I'm gonna have to have a good talk with my therapist after this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so moving, moving into the next thing, we've got vulnerability mistakes, sharing the realness doing what you say you're going to do what's next no surprises hmm. when, when our teams are constantly caught off guard it it creates small if not large uh, issues of ptsd <laughs> where, <laughs> you know post-traumatic stress disorder where people either are scared from previous organizations or they're like oh, i don't i don't really know what's what's sure and what's true because it was this and now it's completely 180 and man, I don't know what to believe now. I'm not really sure what to commit to. I can't put my heart and soul into this work because I have a feeling that in, within an hour or a week or a day, whatever, it's going to completely change and all my work's going to be gone anyway. So mm -hmm. I'll just do kind of quote unquote the best I can. By the way, pro tip, whenever you hear a teammate saying, all right, I'll do the best I can. Rarely does it mean that they're going to do the best they can. What they're saying is there's roadblocks and inhibitors in the way. And I don't believe I can really do it well. And I'm justifying right now that I'm not going to do it very well. Wow. Whenever that happens, look inward as a, as a leader to say, okay, what have I created that has not created confidence in the, ability, in the individual's ability to get the best work done? Side note, back to That's, no surprises. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, back to no surprises. It's just imperative that we're, we're proactive with communication that we bring people in the loop. Now we all know that business can change on a dime and, and surprises do come. And we as leaders are caught off guard, bring people into that, help them understand when we are surprised and caught off guard ourselves back to vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. It's helpful to just help them, you know, lock arms with you versus feeling that they're pulled along or kicked along or completely forgotten about. 
Um, so no surprises is key. Yeah. I feel like the, the addition of letting them know you were caught off guard, I see such a difference. And when something comes down to me and it's stated like, Hey, this was just a big as big of a surprise. We just found out all about this. I do feel so much more trusted and brought into the circle than when a surprise happens up the top and then decisions are made to handle it. And you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a difference. Totally. Yep. There's a, there's a feeling of forgiveness and lack of resentment when you can share, you know, I, I was caught off guard too. But a little bit of resentment can build in when people always feel they're caught off guard and they're the last to know and they're not trusted with information. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, that's so big. Okay. Caught off guard. You're doing what you're going to say you're going to do. Mm-hmm. So we're acknowledging our mistakes. We're sharing data. We're doing what we're going to say we're going to do. We're not catching people off guard. There's got to be more. Yep, there are. Ask your team for help, flat out. When, when, when you're not sure, ask for help. When you see that people are capable, but you're hoarding the information and or the work, more often, by the way, hoarding comes from a place of, I don't want to burden my team more and less around distrust, though it can happen in distrust as well. But when we ask for help and we share the load, people rise. They rise to the occasion time and time again. And when that occurs, it's amazing what it does to overall camaraderie, overall just a great working environment. People feel pushed. They feel challenged. And a great teammate wants to feel challenged. Right now, I believe never in, in the world's history have we had more talented working professionals more knowledgeable, more, more access to information than ever before. They can learn anything on the fly. So why not lean on people and ask for people's help? Otherwise, they get bored. They mm. just kind of they check out. And they think they're super engaged, but they're not. And they're not giving their best work. And when you don't give your best work, you don't build more confidence in yourself. And when you don't build more confidence, you start to get kind of bummed out. And you get a little bit frustrated or just disillusioned and then you get distracted and then you start looking elsewhere so ironically giving people work and asking for help retains top talent the top people need and want to be challenged they want to be respected by knowing that you trust them with important information and important data and work to do versus man i got to do this all myself so i'm just going to stay up from 10 10 at night to two in the morning because it's the only time i can really do it and lie after lie after lie that you tell yourself versus stopping and saying, I need help. People will Mm. rally around that. And they, they love that feeling. Yeah. Going into that a little bit more, I feel like my own personal journey with this, the first, the hardest part, the first part was teaching, teaching and sharing how to do that work. Mm -hmm. That was kind of the first struggle. And then the second one was kind of letting it happen and not swooping in. Right. (laughs) And the third one was kind of like allowing myself to have less to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
to go from being an individual contributor that is just full of like day is stacked to kind of overseeing just, Hey, how you doing? Are you, are you doing okay on that project? Okay. Just checking in. Like it, right. it feels so different. Totally. <laughs> oh, you just, you just shared so many things that unpacked so many, uh, <laughs> I guarantee so many listeners are hearing that going totally. That's exactly how I felt. So you, you nailed a lot of great lessons. It's clear you have, you have been leading and learning these, the, the fun, the fun way, which is the hard way. And, but, you know, let, let's talk about a couple of those. So, yeah. you know, when, when you, when you go down that path of going from an individual contributor, doing, 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 to being a leader of leading, 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 it can feel like you're lazy. It can feel like, man, I don't know where I get my worth anymore because before my quote unquote gold stars were, I did the job. I did the job. I got it done. I see the tangible result. Yeah. It's a leader. I don't know. And so people will, they'll hoard, they'll hoard it. They, they won't give it up because that's their worth versus realizing, no, it's about leading other people and growing them to be the best versions of themselves and letting them have all the accolades, letting them have all the awards and all of the props and all the kudos, whatever word you use in your, in your, in your place. But that can be a tough transition. Then you said, man, teaching it. How often, just everyone listening, just come back and listen to this one. How often have you thought, man, it's so much easier if I just do this myself. It takes way more time if I, if I stop and teach this person. Yeah, everyone listening is raising their hand saying, yep, it just happens, mm -hmm. right? And when, especially when you're moving fast, it's like, I, I don't have time to stop and teach you. Well, the problem is therein inhibits your ability to grow and scale. You will never get past a certain point, trajectory of growth if you can't let go and teach, you've got to invest that time up front so that it, it really yields in dividends over time that other people can do the work. So you got to get that out of your head of, oh, I, I just, I just got to, if it's going to be done right, I've got to do it. I don't have time. Well, actually, I just, I just blurred the lines. The first one is I don't have time to teach it. I'm just going to do it. The second one is, man, if it's going to be done right, I just got to do it myself. And that's where you said you just kind of got to let go and let them succeed, let them fail, let them learn, you know, before you swoop in or before you kind of check. So in parenting, a lot of times it's called helicopter parenting, right, where you, you got to always hover and be there and you don't want little Johnny to to, you know, have any of these mistakes. You just want to swoop in and help. No, when that happens, you're teaching them. I don't fully trust you mm. and you can't really do it as well as as me. The, the wonderful leader who is so savvy and so smart and so wise. No, you let them, you let them fall. You let them fail. And, and I, every time I say that, I hear people say, yeah, but what if it's a really big initiative? Well, here's, here's an example. One time I was in a board meeting and, you know, the big scary board who aren't part of the company and it was really crazy. And anyone, anytime you report to the board, it's really scary and blah, 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 blah. It's all a mind game. It's really not scary, but we make it scary. Well, one of my direct reports, who was a vice president at the time, was needed, was called in to report a five-minute reporting on an initiative that he was running to the board, and he was freaking out. He was super scared. So we role-played it beforehand. We, we prepared. We were really, really prepared, and we said, you know, be ready for these types of questions, anticipate this, 
be confident, be great. Well, he gets in there, shares literally like 45 seconds and bam, gets nailed with like a really hard question. Didn't even let him talk about what he was going to talk about. It just derailed. Wow. And there was a split second where he kind of looked at me. He didn't look right at me, but he kind of turned to me and I could tell it was, oh crap, help. Like what do I do? And I, at the same time, had the thought of, oh crap, I need to help. <laughs> I was like, oh, and I, and I bridled it and I stopped and I just, I looked at him and smiled and nodded. And that one little indicator reminded him, you've got this, you can do this. But my, my knee-jerk reaction was to swoop in and help because it was a scary, like poignant question. He squared his shoulders, he answered it powerfully, just as we had, we had kind of practiced and he moved on. Afterwards, we get done. He's like, dude, I had no idea that would happen. I was like, yeah, I, that was a curveball. I wasn't ready either. And he's like, thank you for letting me squirm and letting me have to come with the solution. Because when, I, when you were silent and you gave me that nod, I knew what you were saying. And that was, you've got this. And I knew I did, but I just needed that little realization. Other than, you know, versus what we typically do. So how often do we swoop in? How often do we do, we do those types of actions is, is a great indicator of how much we're trusting and helping our teams. And the, the difficult part is we hear stuff like this and we go, yeah, but Jeff, you don't know the situation. You don't know what's on the line here. You don't know what's at stake. And to that, I say, well, funny enough, thank you for telling yourself why it's that important and you're missing the big picture. It's never as important as you think it is. And if it's mm -hmm. at the expense of someone who's leading and being led and groomed into the new way of leading and being, it's not worth it. So that's my other soapbox I get excited about. Don't uh, swoop in. Yeah, I could talk about that forever. <laughs> we're acknowledging our mistakes. We're sharing our data. We're doing what we say we're going to do. We're not giving anyone any surprises. We're asking for help. What's, what's the last thing? Yeah, there's one more. Simply put, can your team relate to you? Do they get you? Do you get them? Can you hang with them? Do you go to lunch with them? Do you just spend time on the on the small things? As I look back in my career, when I was doing the best, I was playing ping pong occasionally when needed. I Not needed, but you know, when people were like, man, I just want you to hang out. Okay, cool. I got you. Versus, no, I'm too busy and therefore I'm too good for you. Right. As the leader, am I always the first one in and the last one out? If I'm setting a work ethic that is not very sustainable by most people, what you're doing for others is not letting them rise. They're just kind of like, eh, no one's going to be that. Now, I know that's counterintuitive. And some people say, oh, OK, so if you come in, you know, at 930 in the office and you leave at four, you're, you're setting a precedent of laziness and just people not being on their on, you know, working hard. Maybe, or you trust people on more of a results-oriented basis versus a, a task-oriented basis on, on you know, time clocks, and you let people do their best work. But if the leader is the one always working the longest hours, it's hard for people to relate to that. If the leader isn't really acknowledging mistakes, people are like, man, she's superhuman. I, I, don't, I can't connect with her. She's just too good, and I'll never be that good. And so there were times in my career, admittedly, I sucked at this. I just did not. And why? 
because I was so busy. I was so stressed. I had so many things to do. In other words, I'm so important and I'm so powerful. That's what it was getting communicated. Not at all my intention. But when people would play spike ball or ping pong and I didn't do it with them, what I was communicating is I'm on a higher level than you. I'm better than you. And, you know, that's what you menial individual contributors do. But these executives, you know, we are, we're doing a much more higher, higher work. So dumb. If I could rewind, I would stop and just play a little bit more and, and, you know, let down my hair a little bit. It's, it's old school as that saying is I still like it and just kind of chill out. Uh, what I did do well though, is connected with people on a personal level to get to know who they were. I've long lived by the mantra, if I don't like someone, I don't know them well enough. And so if I'm bothered by any individual team member or a counterpart or an executive, whomever, I have to do the work to get to know their story. I am the issue, not them. And that's how I can relate with people. Get to know their story. Everyone has a fascinating story. And sure enough, in 22 years that I've been living that mantra, I have never, ever been proven wrong. Again, people challenge me on that all the time. And they say, well, you don't know so-and-so, and you don't know what so-and-so did to me, and you don't know my upbringing, my childhood, and the abuse that I endured. You're right. I'm sorry that that happened, and that's difficult. And if you get to know that person's story and understand what happened for them, you might have more empathy, and you might have more love, and you might understand them better. doesn't mean you have to totally forgive what they've done or, or condone what they've done but you understand them at a different level and you can see them from a different perspective. That's a huge part of relating with people and helping them feel trusted and heard and taken care of. Yeah. That's so huge. I also think I I love that you kind of shoot down the fallacy that you have to like work the hardest, look the sharpest, be so detached because what you're really trying to do is let people, you know, not only be productive and efficient, but also live a healthy, balanced, happy life. And you want to help provide that to your team. So if you're not 100%. modeling that. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Totally. There's a little bonus too. So there's six steps we just went through. There's mm-hmm. a, here's a little bonus. Be careful of sarcasm. Mm. When sarcasm, and I've had to be very careful because I am, I, I'm sarcastic. And to me, sarcasm <laughs> can be very funny. Right. The problem with sarcasm as a leader, though, is people very often, they're not quite sure if you're being serious or not, especially if they don't know you very well. And then subconsciously, what people trigger is there's probably some truth to what was just said. Mm. We, we can't help but think that. So, so often managers will say stuff in a funny way. You're fired. Ha ha ha. That's not funny. Mm. Like it's, it's just not funny. And it creates this uncertainty, which demolishes trust. So stuff like you're fired or man, took you a year and a half to do that kind of passive aggressive sarcasm, you know, right. little things that just jab at people and don't enable people to do well. Guess where I learned this hmm. when leading 12 and 13 year old Boy Scouts. Wow. In a, in a time where, Arguably, we're most most insecure, and the smallest ounces of sarcasm and making fun of people just wrecked people, mm. and didn't enable them to really be their their whole selves, and didn't enable them to feel gelled and united with the team, or with the troop in that moment. And I realized I have to lead that, and at this first sign of either me or someone else 
giving sarcasm or a, I was just kidding. If that doesn't get snuffed out immediately, you are tolerating a behavior as a leader that doesn't create an environment of trust. And then people are on the, on edge and on their guard. And when they're guarded, they're not trusting. And when they're not trusting, they don't, and they don't belong. And when they don't belong, they don't perform at their best. And so then I realized, huh, all we are as adults, whether I'm 25 or 45 or 55, I'm just a 13-year-old in a 55-year-old's body. I'm still trying to overcome my own insecurities and my own, my own self-conscious ways of being. I still feel nerdy in certain situations. I still feel awkward. But I just kind of put on a show a little bit better, and I've learned how to cope with it. But we all have issues. We all have things that we are self-conscious about. Mine, I am blind as a bat. I'm talking legally blind. No joke. I even get a tax credit for it now. It's pretty cool. But anyway, I'm that blind. And as a kid, I had massive Coke bottle glasses. I'm talking like Aww. just gnarly suckers. <laughs> and it, it was before they had technology where they could carve out, you know, like make the lenses a little bit thinner. So these things were thick. And I was so self-conscious about my glasses all the time to where now I wear contacts. I'm like, oh, good. But there are times where I still wear my glasses because my contacts are, you know, b- bothering my eyes. And I still will have issues when I wear my glasses, especially when I meet new people. And I'm 42 as of yesterday, 42. I still have the little insecurity like, eh, I don't want little Jeffrey to be a little nerd and be made fun of. I'm like, dude, get over it, move on. <laughs> and I, I, I've since you know, been able to get through that. But when we can, can acknowledge each other that we all have insecurities, we all are trying to put on a tough face and just have an environment of trust and care and love, it's so much more effective. It's so much more therapeutic. It's so much more powerful. And it's so much more sustainable. That is where the best teams thrive, in sustained trust, in those environments. And those six elements plus the little bonus of avoiding sarcasm are the way to build sustained trust in a high-performing team. And it's an amazing journey. I feel like I can't say anything else. I I have (laughs) more questions, but I I feel like that would just be, you know, a personal, (laughs) like, personal mentorship meeting. (laughs) So (laughs) Jeff, thank you so, so much for sharing these. And, you know, before you go, can you tell us a little bit about ready to lead and, and what you're doing with leading at scale? You bet. I love this partnership. You know, my, my full-time gig is I, I coach CEOs, as I said, of high growth companies and helping them, you know, grow without losing their priorities. I coach right at the intersection of business and life. And what I found in doing so is People need leadership. They need principles. They need tactics. They need templates. They need things that will help them. And so I partnered with with folks here at Scalable that I love and are near and dear to my heart. We've created Ready to Lead to help further the leadership movement of the world, in particular for the modern leader of the modern worker. Leadership has evolved holistically. It is totally different. The problem is so many old school leadership tactics are still being used from the early 1900s. No joke. You go back to the origin of much of what's happening today and it's from then and they're broken. And especially the millennial workforce is saying, I'm done with that. And so a lot of older leaders say, oh, the millennials are lazy or this or that. No, they're not. They just don't tolerate lame leadership. And they have so many different options that now they're like, I can go elsewhere. So we've created Ready to Lead for new, emerging, and accidental leaders, I like to call them, 
who have stumbled into leadership and feel all, all three of those people, by the way, feel insecure in leadership, feel like, man, this is way harder than I thought it would be. I have been there. And we created this and fast forwarded literally 25 years of leadership, best tools and tactics, tips and tricks, tried and true methods that you don't have to fail the hard way the way I did. And you can have a fast track in a two-day intensive to learn the best lessons of leadership to help you be more confident, to help you lead with more care, to help you lead more selflessly and less selfishly, and to be able to create an environment of trust that enables massive sustainable results that will help you feel so much better about life. That's why I'm so stoked about this. It's, it's, it's very needed, and it's for the modern leader today versus the old school leadership of, of days of yore that just don't, that leadership style doesn't work anymore. It's time for a change and we're creating that. It's awesome. It is awesome. I can say just as a person who attended the the first the first intensive, it was like so eye-opening and life-changing for me in my career. And and just I've seen the change you've affected already with your mentoring of some of the leaders here at Scalable and Digital Marketer. And I can tell a huge difference. So thank you for awesome. everything you do, Jeff. That's great. My pleasure. That is the key. It's about positive impact and blessing people's lives in a way that then has this multiplicative effect that everybody is better because, man, when a great leader is in a great place, the amount of impact she or he has is is incalculable. It's immeasurable. And that's why I do what I do. I love helping leaders and helping leaders lead leaders and everybody becomes happier and better. Love it. <laughs> very touchy-feely, but very true. <laughs> Well, y'all go check out leadingatscale.com and Jeff, where can they reach out to you? You know, you can look at, check it out at LinkedIn uh, slash Jeff Mask. Also Facebook, Jeff Mask. Uh, my website is maskprinciples.com. And that is my coaching business where I help CEOs and founders of high growth companies not lose it and grow and, <laughs> and to not lose. Because you, you grow at that, plot, at that level and you just think, I, I can't do this. This is just way too hard. And I found a way to make it work so that you can enjoy life and your and your business instead of having one rob the other. And that's why I do what I do. Cool. cool. Jeff, thank you so much for being here. And to those of you listening, it means so much to have a little bit of your day each week. And we'll see you same time, same place next week. Bye. Thank you. Hey, DM listeners, if you're running a Black Friday or Cyber Monday special, listen up, because Digital Marketer just released our Canva holiday promo pack. It includes almost 200 templates that you can use to make the graphics for all your upcoming holiday specials and three unique design themes for each holiday. The promo pack is usually $27, but you can get it today for free. Check the show notes for the link to download, or you can go directly to digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates. That's digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates.